Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I am joined with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are talking about an interesting case. As you guys can see by the title, it is the abduction of Sherry Papini from Redding, California. We are excited to talk about this because that's kind of close to where we grew up. We know the area and we know some things that we will get into that Jessica got nosy and found out for us. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I got a little nosy. I love it. (laughs) But before we get started, if you'd like to hang out with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle for that is at Three Spooked Girls. We are both on TikTok. Those are in the link tree as well if you would like to hang out with us. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Going to our $5 tier, you start getting video content, live streams, all kinds of great stuff and haunted grounds, which is my video series on haunted or cursed, possessed, scary, creepy topics that we do for $5 and up patrons. So there you go. But before we get into our content today, we are going to take a quick promo break and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I'm going to hand it over to Jessica for our drink this week. So it's not so much a drink as so much like a drink experience. 
oh. should say. Okay. I was researching Northern California cocktails, and obviously Tara pointed out just a few minutes ago that it, I could have picked like a Sierra Nevada beer because that's brewed in Northern California, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. I think Great White, which is in Humboldt, California as well. Oh, okay. But here in Sacramento, there's this thing called the Northern California Margarita Mile, and it's a mile where you go to these five restaurants, right? And you walk it and you go to each one and you get a margarita. And Moss Tacos is one of them. Not like the one we <gasps> ate at, but the uh, one downtown. Ooh. Yeah. Tara knows I took her to Moss Tacos when she was here. And mm. they are delicious. And I cannot wait till I can really eat carbs again because I'm going to eat that freaking Korean fried chicken taco. Oh my God, yes. It's so good. <laughs> it is so much carbs. It's yeah. just, it's like fried chicken in like this fluffy kind of like a bao bun, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. If you think about like the the pork buns, but it's like that kind of as a taco shell. Mm-hmm. And it had Amazing kimchi this. and it has jalapenos. It's fucking delicious. <laughs> I'm just really sad because I can't have one right now. Hey, sorry. I, have, I think I could have one, <laughs> but how do you just eat one taco? Right. Oh, God. All right. All right. Now that we're taking a break from our food podcast, we're going to get into this case today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Thinking about that, I'm like, I just want to now have a podcast of like all the Halloween Food Network stuff that's going to be out and about because me and the kiddo are rewatching the Halloween Baking Champion because on Discovery Plus, there's a few there's quite a few seasons. So we started today Girl, in our time. <laughs> we could do it for Slaughter's. <laughs> Oh, my God. Let us know, guys, what you think of that. Anyways, all right. (laughs) So we are headed to Northern California. We're talking about Sherry Papini. We're heading up to Redding, California. So she is married to a man named Keith, and they have two young children. They actually had a little romance back in their middle school days. They They said they had like a little kiss and, you know, Middle school shit didn't work out. It's fine. That That's how life is, right? So <laughs> right. they went their separate ways. Sherry had went off and got married to a different man, but she ended up divorced and her and Keith rekindled their relationship. I don't, I mean, I guess compared to other places, Reading is small, but like compared to our towns that we grew up in, I'm like, it doesn't feel like a small town, but it's like small town. You run into people. So I'm not surprised this, this happened with them, <laughs> you know? Reading is like, we would be like, okay, we're going to like, we're going to go into like the bigger town, like where Tara and I grew up. It's very small, like under 15,000 people each town. Reading is like. Mine's under 8,000 people. So. Right. (laughs) Tiny. (laughs) And then like you go to Reading and it's like 100,000 people. But they also like, I think, count a lot of like the outskirts, like Mm -hmm. Mountain Gate is where Sherry lived. Yes, technically. Technically like a suburb. It's like a rural suburb of Reading. Right. Yeah. Past like the college. Yes. It's like a little pocket. College is. There's like two there. I forgot. Yeah. My mind was blown back in the day. I'm like, whoa, you know, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. So, you know. In adulthood, after this divorce stuff, they rekindled things. And (laughs) I'm sorry. So I have to say real quick, Keith looks like somebody me and Jessica were friends with when I was in high school. And I just can't get that out of my fucking head. It just trips me out. Anyways, okay. Ever since you pointed it out, I'm just like. (laughs) (laughs) 
Is this well, person? hello there. Are you related? <laughs> I want to ask, but I also don't want to be like the first time I've talked to this person in like 10 years to be like, hey, no, we haven't <laughs> talked in a really long time, but like, are you related to this person? Right. Oh my God. Cool. They'd be like, no, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Anyway, okay, so there was an interview from Keith and he talked about like how he kept all the little love notes and stuff from her and stuff. And I instantly was like, oh, my gosh, I thought of middle school when we would all fold stuff. Super crazy advanced Mm -hmm. origami bullshit. Yes. I'm like, damn, we were talented. I don't remember how to do any of that. It's fine. I don't either. (laughs) But one of my friends, every break that we would have. So Mm -hmm. like if it was Christmas or Easter or summer like summer break she would write me like fucking journals like we were just like she would just write me a note per day and so when she'd hand it to me it'd be like so so much (laughs) i remember when i went to austria she had like a Mm -hmm. whole notebook like she wrote in and then the choir was on their way to disneyland for a choir performance and i was still Mm -hmm. in austria (laughs) and Mm -hmm. everyone on the bus like a lot of people that i was friends with on the bus all took turns like writing in the notebook So when I got back, there was literally an entire like legal pad notebook just like completely filled out with notes to me. I thought that was cute. That is so cute. Now we would just like email or text each other. Or FaceTime. Yeah, like technology Mm -hmm. ruined that art. (sighs) So cute. Anyways. Okay. So they rekindled and he like showed her and it was like a whole fucking thing, right? Well, they obviously hit it off. They dated and eventually got married in 2009 and they had their two kids a little while later and at the time of the disappearance they were two and four so they were pretty small mm-hmm. and everyone described them of course with cases like this i was just like of course here we fucking go again they described them as the perfect couple having this really like sweet family relationship dynamic and looked like the perfect family and you know outfits on point they were fit the kids were like all put together super i mean their kids are cute and they you are. Know, just everything essentially is just so with them to on the outer appearance mm-hmm. and if you look up pictures of them or you go on our socials like it's very pinteresty posy pictures for like when they got pictures done oh for sure they could yeah. have literally been i know this sounds weird but you know like the front like in the frames like when they mm-hmm. have like the family yeah. like they look like they're like what you would want to be in a frame yeah exactly yeah it's crazy. Like the kids, I think there was a picture of them at the beach and like the kids swimsuits matched, I think. And then in like other photos, it's like she and her daughter were wearing the same outfit, like mommy, me, mm-hmm. matchy. And then, yeah. you know, their son was ma- kind of matching the dad, but not mm-hmm. like so, so. It's just like, yeah, it's just very. Like super coordinated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like she put a lot of time and effort into what their appearance was yes Mm -hmm. yeah and her sister even was like it was it was like that every day every single day so if you guys are familiar with this case or have seen anything or thinking like maybe you have they refer to her a lot as super mom or super wife and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. but apparently like i like we were already talking about she went above and beyond for like appearances and then also just for stuff for her family according to her sister (laughs) And I'm laughing, not because of what I'm about to say, but I'm just laughing because there was this YouTube video and I sent Jessica the clip. If you guys really want to see it, I can fucking post it. But basically, it was a body language thing, but she was making fun of this part and it was just fucking funny how she said it. Anyway, her sister says in an interview, you know, she didn't just make a pie. She made a beautiful pie. And then (laughs) the lady was just like, oh, so all I have to do to be super mom is make a beautiful pie. (laughs) 
I don't know. I, just said it I don't know, but that, it was but like it was the exact funny. same thing. Like, if that's all it takes <laughs> to be super mom, like, oh my god, I don't even have kids and I'm a super mom. Like, oh, right? Look at us. It's fine. And Keith was a home theater specialist at Best Buy and he had worked there since 2005. And Sherry was a stay at home mom. They lived in a really, really nice house. It was actually the home that Keith grew up in. He inherited it. For those wondering how how they could afford to live in California on one income and especially because like no shade to retail, but it's like I used to work retail for many years and I know what that paycheck looks like. <laughs> we looked it up. Yeah. Well, yeah, we looked it up it's for his two because we were just curious. Yeah. But on top of that, and like you probably you guys are probably like, damn, bitchy, but no, legit, her kids went to daycare. Daycare is expensive. That was the main reason we were like, how much did he make? <laughs> right. Because we were trying to figure out how a stay at home mom and a one mm-hmm. in like one income affords childcare, especially because most right. of the time, just like what I've seen just being mm-hmm. in life is people who like when there's a stay at home parent, it's because financially it's either a they can't afford to put their both children or children in child care or it just makes better sense for the parent to be giving that care. So mm-hmm. it's just it. I'm going to say it's a red flag for me that her kids are in daycare and she's a stay at home mom. Like who is she staying right. at home with? Right. And like I will say I will point out I couldn't find if like I couldn't completely confirm if if it was five days a week, but from Keith though, the kids would be there like all fucking day when they were there because mm-hmm. he says later that she would pick them up around four thirty, four forty five. So right. I would assume it was a full time thing, which like that's fine, but mm-hmm. like it's just interesting. Yeah, and just to kind of like save my ass as I just said something super judging and I don't mean to. I totally get it. Like if you're that, you know, if you know you have to do grocery shopping and run errands and you're like, okay, like a couple of days a week, I'm going to put my kids in daycare so that I can go do these things and not have to lug them around because I have twin niece and nephews and I will tell you like just taking them anywhere when they were young Mm -hmm. was like, holy shit, there's two of them. And, you know, if he's working and she's trying to grocery shop, like that shit's hard. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I so, totally get it. You know, and sometimes I you just that. need a damn break. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious how many days a week they yeah. were actually in daycare. Right. Yeah. I tried to look it up and I could not find it anywhere. But that's kind of like our little overview. We'll definitely get into Sherry's background a little more when Jessica talks theories and stuff because there's some stuff that comes out later. Mm-hmm. But for now, we are going to go ahead and jump into the day of her disappearance. So on the morning of November 2nd, 2016, it was said to start out like a normal day, per usual. According to Keith, he said he saw Sherry and his kids, gave them a hug and a kiss, and then he headed off to work. And Sherry took the kids to daycare. At 10.47, Sherry texted Keith to ask if he was coming home for lunch that day. And he said, sorry, I can't. You know, it's a long day. They were super busy. He was just going to stay there. And after this, he says he doesn't hear from Sherry, which he was like, I didn't call her like it seemed fine, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Talk to her later. Right. And also just to kind of keep note, too, as we go through this, there was surveillance footage at his work to confirm like, yes, he was at work during the times he said he was just a little FYI. So at about 11 a.m., Sherry was said to head out for a jog because she was apparently training for a 5K turkey trot that was coming up. I saw that smirk. <laughs> well, it's just because like when they're because it's Reading and they're talking about the turkey trot and I'm just like, it's the turkey trot. Yeah. 
because it's on like commercials for like end of September yeah. to like sometimes past Thanksgiving. And you're like, bitch, that was four days ago. <laughs> Nobody doing ter- it's either that or the duck drop. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that where they like yes. put the ducks in the river and then yeah. float down? Yeah, I remember that shit. But yeah, apparently she wanted to like, I guess, take it seriously, which cool. Good for you. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. So when she went out for her run, she said she took her phone and her earbuds with her, as most people do. Now, Keith would arrive home from work at approximately 5.51 p.m. And he, you know, he said he expected, just like every other day, his kids, they kind of like rush him and hug him and all that stuff. And they, he said when he gets in the door, they, (laughs) oh my God, I'm such an asshole. I'm sorry. They have family snuggle time. But there was just the way he said it was just weird. I don't know what is, I don't know. I'm sorry. It was this like weird smirk he made when he said it. Yeah. Because it was like, it would have been one thing if he was like, yeah, you know, normally they come in and we just get like as a family with each other, we have what we call snuggle time. But he was like, yeah, we get together. We have snuggle time. And it was like this weird (laughs) inflection in his voice. He's a weird dude. And I was just like, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, his his presence. But yeah, continuing. Sorry, my yes. friend. No, it's fine. Okay. But when he entered the house, no kids, no nothing. The house was quiet. Sherry wasn't around. Obviously, he's like, hey, I'm home. Like, you know, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. When he realizes, like, he's the only one in the house, he said he used Find My iPhone to track his wife as he assumes her and the kids are outside somewhere, which jumped out at me because I was thinking, why wouldn't you just call her? That I feel right. that'd be faster. But I mean, you know, people do whatever they do. Well, he gets the little dot ping thing of Sherry's phone and it says it's at their mailbox, which is down the road about a mile. So he jumps into her car because it is still there and drives over to the mailbox. No Sherry, no kids. And he says he drives around for a little bit trying to see if he sees them. Maybe they went for a walk, blah, blah, blah. And eventually he comes back towards the mailboxes and he gets out of his car and he said he finds her cell phone and earbuds laying on the ground with pieces of her hair tangled up in it. And he takes two photos of this before he picks it up. Now, if you haven't seen the photos of this, it'll be it'll definitely be in the episode post or Google it while you're listening. Mm -hmm. It's lying face up and it's neat. It's just not like thrown off because at first he because like in one of his interviews, he tries to be like, oh, I just thought maybe it flew off the car. And I'm like, but you have her car, first of all. And second of all, how what's the chances a phone's going to land perfect in the grass next to the mailbox when she's in her car on the road? Okay, and no damage to it. With no damage and the headphones looking like, you know how like when you hold, what it looks like is it looks like when you're holding a phone yeah, and then you set it down and you know how like the cord of the head, like the wired headphones gets all like tangled. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. It didn't look like. No. It was. It looks like it was placed, honestly. Yeah. And plenty of people think it was staged. The phone was staged. I agree with that. So after this, Keith calls his mom and the kids and Sherry aren't there. So then after that, he says he calls the daycare to see what time Sherry picked up the kids. And they're like, no, they're still here. Sherry never picked them up. So he, I'm assuming, calls his mom back because he he talks to her again and says like, hey, can you go pick up the kids? And by this point, it is 7.51 p.m. So about two hours has passed since he's got home and he calls authorities, which I feel like is kind of a big gap. But like... I guess he was trying to look. So I don't know. I mean, I can't judge because it's like everyone does stuff differently. But I know if it was me, I would have called like right away as soon as I heard my kids never got picked up. Right. I think that I think I would have said, you know, I wouldn't. You're right. As soon as the kids weren't picked up and if Sherry was 
punctual every day, picking the kids up between 4.30 and 4.45, and she's not there, and we're talking at 6 o'clock, it's later. Also, like, why isn't the daycare calling Sherry to pick up the kids? Right, because he has her phone at this point, so... I feel like there'd be missed calls or something. Yeah. Because he gets home like it's almost an extra hour, you know, at this point. Because I'm going to get into the 911 call in a second, but I just want to say here, too, he says on there, he's like, yeah, she always for sure picks them up before 530. But like you have to think about it. The time he's on the 911, it's almost eight o'clock. I mean, obviously, the kids are picked up already. But like, it's crazy because when my kid had to go into daycare while I was at work and stuff before she started going to school. They have like a certain time they close by. And if you're like X amount, um, like they have a charge for like minutes late type of thing. And right. they call you and stuff. Because obviously, too, they want to be like, make sure you're OK, you know? Yeah. Like what if something was happening? What if like you'd been in an accident and mm-hmm. no one had, you know, I just I find it very weird that yeah. her phone and you would think that. If they weren't getting old of her, they would call him. Right, because he's the other parent or another emergency contact. Right, like her parents or her sister or his sister, mm-hmm. someone who they would have put down there who could, in case of an emergency, go get the kids. Exactly. So it's weird. It just seems really sus to me, unless this is just like a fact he's left out, is that on her phone, there was a bunch of missed calls. Right. And Maybe he she had a password he didn't know. Possibly. Yeah, there's there's that chance. Who knows? I'm not. We don't know. But like I said, calling 911 and all that. And I, what also was interesting to me. So if you guys look it up or it'll be on the sources page. So a lot of times they only show like or they only play like a certain clip of the 911 call. But I found the full like mm-hmm. six minutes or whatever it is. And I wonder this is just speculation, but it's like you can hear he like gets transferred to the dispatcher so i'm like did he call the non-emergency line at first i'm really confused that is weird yeah but anyways also well no because i was like well maybe because of like where they live it went like it routed to the wrong dispatch but like that doesn't make any sense anyway this whole case is fucking. well maybe if he called in and he got routed to like pd yeah being outside the city limits they may have routed him to the sheriff which, yeah, that's who, like, handled stuff. So, yeah, that, mm-hmm. okay, that would make sense. People have a lot of feelings when it comes to this 911 call. There's a lot of, like, articles and videos that talk about his demeanor. And I agree, it's pretty mm-hmm. calm. But it's kind of like at the same time you have to play devil's advocate and be like, what's panicking really going to do to help you? But it's just weird because it sounds like he's just talking about, like, the weather or groceries. It's just very, like, mm-hmm. it's just chill. It's just chill. And at this point... I could understand maybe if this had just happened, like he just found the phone and he called 911 and it was like he was really calm. And then all of a sudden it was like sinking in what happened. We're talking two hours where he's been looking for her. You would think at this point, if he's calling 911, he'd be frantic because two hours have set in that like my nobody knows where my wife is. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're possibly the last one who talked to her. And that was at like before 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And it's like almost it's eight. So exactly. Exactly. And then there's a point when he's like talking over the dispatcher and then he kind of chuckles because he's like, oh, God, you're trying to calm me down. But to be fair, to be fair, plenty of people laugh when they're uncomfortable. 
I mm-hmm. do that quite a bit. So like I can kind of get that, but it's just the whole thing's odd. It's just weird. But following the 911 call, you know, they the dispatcher says like go to your house, they're going to come over and follow up, you know, and then mm-hmm. the searches start immediately and it's like a ton of searches, a ton of people, not even just authorities, but it's volunteers because the story just like blows the fuck up. It gets so much media attention. And in that kind of a small area, mhm. People are typically kind-hearted up there. They're mm-hmm. very like you know, it's a little bit more wave at your neighbor, even if you don't know them type thing. Yeah. And so I I have a feeling that people were like, well, this is our community. We need to be looking for her. Right. Exactly. But literally days would pass with nothing. And on November 7th, they decide to have Keith take a polygraph test, which we know doesn't really mean shit because, mm-hmm. you know. It just doesn't. But he does it. And because he's cooperative, pretty much the police are like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you're good. You're cleared. Goodbye. Like, you're just trying to find your wife. That's pretty much what they went with. And even his coworkers were just like, he's cooperative. You know, like mm-hmm. anyone that's close to them is like, no way, no way they would do anything sketchy. Like, you know what I mean? <clears throat> so for now, yeah. for now, for now, they're saying that for now. <laughs> Yeah, for now, for now. Something else, though, even though they were, like, super worried about appearances and, like, super, quote, perfect and all that, they weren't social media people. They weren't by the time they had their kids and stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, they were, like, very involved with people in, like, real life, but, like, no Facebook, no nothing like that. But, of course, when Sherry goes missing, Keith decides, you know, he's doing interviews left and right, like, Every news source, everything. He's talking, crying, Mm -hmm. all this stuff all the time. But I mean, like, if you're trying to find your wife, I get it. Now, Keith and their families right off the bat are just adamant, adamant. Even on the 911 call, he says someone took her. Like, they're like, no, she did not run away. She was abducted. And in one instance, he said, quote, she is my wife. I know everything about her. I know that my wife would never leave me and never in a million years leave our kids, end quote. Well, during their search efforts, investigators file about 20 search warrants and they look into local sex offenders. They're looking at all kinds of surveillance videos, all of that from anywhere they can get it in the area, like homes, businesses, that kind of thing. It's a rural area, though. So and especially like back in this time period, like I feel like ring cameras weren't quite as common yet, especially there. Like there was like some, but not a lot. Yeah. Because of how rural it is out there, because basically you leave Rutting, you go off like Old Oregon Trail, which is like Mm -hmm. a college by there, and then you go out towards Mountain Gate. It gets like, like you can see your neighbor type thing, but it's like how, I mean, I say this and no one knows where I live. It's like how I grew up. Like your neighbors aren't aren't necessarily right next to you where you could throw something over the fence really easy. and Like you got acres. Yeah. 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 And so... Out there, it's hard because of the you have to have good internet quality, and a lot of times out in those places, yeah. they they weren't putting out like fiber optics and things like that, so you'd have to run it mm-hmm. through a landline. Right, exactly. Because of that, and you know, they look they're looking through like cell phone records, anything they could get through. But like at this point, they have no leads. She's just right. like gone. She's just gone. 
And during all of these searches and stuff, there's a man who doesn't know the Papinis, but he sees this, of course, on the news. And a few years later, he does do an interview with True Crime Daily, and he said that he saw their story on TV and it just pulled at his heartstrings as it would. He said he thought about, like, how he would feel if it was his wife or his sister or his loved one, you know, just Mm -hmm. up and vanished and how he would just do anything to get them back. So he has still today remained anonymous. He's said to be a very successful man in the business and entrepreneurial circuit. So he's doing okay. So he's like, I've had enough recognition in my life. You know, I truly just wanted to help. And like Jessica pointed this out when we were talking about this with just each other. It's like that guy with the Kristen Smart case type of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, just wanting to help. So he said that he reached out to the Shasta County Sheriff's Office and was like, hey, I want to help. I can put up reward money and I have this idea of a reverse ransom and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And according to him, the Sheriff's Office threatened him and they were like, if you do this. And then the, the guy from True Crime Daily interviewing him was like, if you do this, what? And he was just like, that's all they said. And he was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> no offense to the Shasta County sheriffs at the time, but their sheriff would look like a potato. Like, what are you going to do, dude? <laughs> like, no offense or anything, but it's kind of yeah. like one of those things where you're like, if you do this or else, or else what? Like, pretty much. You're going to do something really kind. And I get that a reverse ransom is really risky because mm-hmm. basically what you're telling someone is come in. No questions asked. You give us this person back. We will not be pressing charges. And as a sheriff, you're probably like, no, we press charges. Like, we can't make that deal. And so Mm -hmm. legally, could they be tying the hands of of law enforcement? Right. But it's like at the same time, you would think like if you have someone willing to help with a hefty reward, like Mm -hmm. think of other solutions. But okay. So anyway, so anonymous donor, he decide he gets in contact with a woman named Lisa Jeter, and she's one of Sherry's close friends and friends with Keith, too. And so, of course, after they talk, she talks with Keith and Keith is all for it. So mm-hmm. they get this 50K and they put it out there. And of course, with this reverse ransom, they're like, you have a couple days. It was just a couple days. I think it was like 100 hours. Yeah, it was like just not it was like just a couple days Yeah, because they obviously wanted a quick return if the kidnappers had her and saw this. But of course, no surprise that date came and went and no Sherry. Then we have another man coming to the mix that I'm going to tell you a little bit about. I'm not going to go crazy into it because there's some crazy shit that comes out about him later. His name is Cameron Gamble. He is kind of a sketch. But basically, Lisa was said to have met him once, which once I tell you about him, you're going to be like, what the fuck were you? Like, how did you meet him? But OK. And it is said that he is a, quote, ex-airman turned hostage expert whose job is teaching people how to escape captivity and deal with hostage situations. Mm-hmm. And he has this creepy ass warehouse looking building that has shipping containers in it. And they're all set up like different hostage holding cell creepy places all over the world. And basically, he says that his clients pay him to teach them how to get out of these situations. And supposedly, he worked with government officials with other hostage situations and all this other kind of stuff. According to Cameron, he almost didn't help out because he was really iffy about the whole case. And he had talked to his wife about it. And she was like, well, it's up to you. You know, if you want to do it, go for it. But if not, like, you know, that's cool. And he said he just kind of same thing with the anonymous donor kind of sat there and put himself in Keith's shoes. Like, if this was my wife gone, Mm -hmm. I would do anything I could. And if I have the resources of somebody who specializes in trying to find, you know what I'm saying? Like, finding them, like, 
of course I would want that help. So he's like, I have to do this, right? Which a lot of people raise the eyebrow at it and they're like, oh, he just did this to like get money or promote his business, you know, that kind of thing. But when he straight up gets asked about it, he's like, I talked to the anonymous donor about it and he wanted to pay me or whatever, but I told him no. And then I finally was like, fine, give me a dollar because that's taxable. That's a write off and that's it. And so he's like, yeah, I it was a pro bono type of situation. Like I was just doing it because I wanted to help. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so at this point, everyone's like, Keith is a mess. He is panicking. He is losing hope. He cry, you know, like nothing wrong with crying, but it's like he he's a mess, understandably, right? Exactly. So we need someone who's level-headed to take charge of speaking to the public because the anonymous donor decides he's going to double the reward to 100K now. But since they missed the deadline, it wouldn't be a reverse ransom. It'd just be like, you know, for whoever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So... Cameron sits down and films this video in this like white room. I'm assuming it's in the warehouse. I don't know. It I don't know. It's kind of like looks like an interrogation room almost. Who knows where he filmed it? But anyway, he filmed it and he like put all the stipulations out there. Right. But nothing. No Sherry. She's still gone. And then on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th at 4.30 a.m., a woman calls 911. And she has seen Sherry on the side of I-5 in Yolo County, 150 miles from where she was abducted. And she said Sherry was looking panicked and frightened. I saw this woman with long blonde hair, which I'm going to note asterisk that real quick, on the right shoulder of the freeway. And she was waving a piece of fabric that looked like a shirt, waving it up and down, trying to flag someone down. And this woman's name was Allison Sutton. Mm. It was obvious she needed help. Now. Sherry's condition, she was said to be bound by her hands. She had lost 15% of her body weight at this point, so that put her down to a tiny 87 pounds. And she had injuries on her, suggesting she had been bound for quite some time, and tons of bruises all over her body, varying in ages. Some were new, some were older, some were healing, things like that. And her hair had been cut, so I was like, long blonde hair that's weird but like her hair was cut but i was like okay whatever because that's like a shocking thing to find this person who's been missing for like three weeks like and at 4 30 in the morning when we (laughs) say that like she had long blonde hair i mean like every picture you see her like even in a ponytail it's like Mm -hmm. almost to her lower back so i mean yeah she has super long long black hair or long blonde hair yeah yeah super super long and it was also stated that the like fabric thing she was waving was like a sack of some sort that mm-hmm. was over her head when she had gotten dropped off and all of that. So the sheriff, Tom Bozenko, Bozenko, whatever, Tom, sheriff, potato, sheriff, potato. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> also, there was something else on her that they noticed. They found she had been branded on her right shoulder. Now, We, even still to this day, do not know what was on her. But Sheriff Tom, he had something interesting to say about this. He said, quote, I would think that was some sort of either an exertion of power and control and or maybe some type of message that the brand contained. It's not a symbol, but it was a message, end quote. And like I said, we don't know. It's so cryptic. Yeah, so cryptic. So fucking cryptic. But... Obviously, they when they find her and everything, they take her to the hospital and fucking Keith, he comes in and he's like, 
oh my God, your face or oh my God, her face. I can't remember exact verbiage, but I know he's like, what the fuck her face? But I'm just like, how are you going to act like that about her face when she's got all this stuff on her going on? First of all, she's been like, you should be more relieved that she's alive, first of all. But like, then you're just gonna be like, holy shit, what happened to your face? Like, no, I'd be like, happy you're alive. (laughs) I just like, and here's the thing I want to say. It's not like (gasps) some bystander was like, no. Oh, he did this. It's like, He's on fucking 2020 telling people I was just like, her face. Yup. I'm like, mm, Keith, that's not a good look, dude. Like, you really should have been like, oh, my God, my wife, she's back. Beautiful. Even through the bruises, you could see her beauty. Like, that's the line you use. Not like I pulled back the curtain was like, oh, my God, what happened to you? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? She's already traumatized, Keith. Yes. Calm down. God, honestly. Okay. But <laughs> that is where I'm going to hand it to Jessica now so she can tell us all kinds of sketchy shit that I oh really tried very hard not to go into. <laughs> you, Yeah, no, it's this this case like, oh, I have never had a case where it's like, okay, I feel this way. No, I feel this way. I feel this way. So I'm all over the place. Okay. So when Sherry has been rescued, like Tara said, she's bound around her waist. She had like, I think, cuts around her neck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where they could tell she had like been bound around there or like Mm -hmm. choked or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, interestingly enough. So you know how Tara mentioned that her bruises were like a various colors Mm -hmm. from yellow to black and Mm -hmm. purple and whatnot. Apparently that was a fact that the police were trying to hold back. That she had been beaten multiple times, like, throughout her abduction. Because I think that's a bit... I actually see why they would do this. Because if someone were to be like, well, you know, other than, like, the people around her who saw her, they could kind of build a timeline Mm -hmm. of when abuses were. And how that came out is Keith was in an interview and he just spilled it. And the police were like, and this was like, she was rescued with the 24th. This was only, like, the the 30th of that month. Like, they hadn't officially released that bit of information they probably would have soon but they didn't even have sketches also can we like talk about how appalling it is she lost 15 percent of her body weight and they let her go home the same day yeah that was yeah like literally <sighs> she could have a damage to her internal organs right if she lost 15 i think it was like around 18 pounds she ended up losing mm-hmm. which is still a big thing to lose in like 20 22 days right when you start losing that kind of weight, they're like, okay, that's that's a pound, essentially a pound a day. Uh-huh. So she would have been like malnourished. She'd have been emaciated. They should have been, she should have at least been in a 24-hour, like, some sort of, like, bag of, like, hydration and mm-hmm. some sort of, I don't know, whatever they gave you in the hospital so that I wasn't eating but was still getting food. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing was. But... They were like, oh, okay, goodbye. Like, she didn't even stay the night. She went home. Like, she was home in Reading by, like, the end of the day, which Mm -hmm. is just such a weird concept to me. Right. So we're going to start with the police statements. Well, obviously, they already had Keith's statement because, like, he didn't know what happened Mm -hmm. until Sherry told him. I think he has told the police things that Sherry hasn't told them, but we're not quite sure. The police did question Sherry, and it was said to be very intense by both parties, both Sherry and the police. I don't think it happened, like, right away. I think it was probably, like, a couple of days. Mm -hmm. But they did interview her. 
Sherry did make note to tell the police early on that she, prior to being kidnapped, she already had issues with, like, memory. Mm-hmm. Like, she couldn't remember things. So that was something that was, like, documented from day one. Like, oh, I don't have a good memory anyway. So when asked to recall something, she could be like, oh, I don't have the memory for it. And she told them she was jogging and she was abducted by two Latino women wearing face masks or masks of some kind. She said they were driving a dark colored SUV with a very large rear window, which I don't know if anyone has ever been to Redding, California, but two Hispanic females in a dark colored SUV is like needle meat fucking haystack. No, needle meat needle stack. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just SUVs are everywhere. Yeah. There's a large Hispanic and Latino population in Northern California. And even if we're not looking directly in Redding, just in the whole area, the Mm -hmm. towns that Tara and I grew up in, the Hispanic and Latino population was huge in the towns we grew up in. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to note that these were her abductors. She said they took her to a location where she didn't know where she was and was held for 22 days. She told investigators that the women spoke Spanish most of the time and Sherry didn't speak Spanish. So it was pointed out in a lot of videos that I watched that, oh, well, her saying that they were Latino, I'm sorry, Latina and spoke Spanish meant that she didn't have to be responsible for what they remembering what they said because it was in a different language. Hmm. There's a lot of you guys. We're going to get into some like theories later and you'll understand why that comment is made. Mm -hmm. So she just didn't know what they were saying. But this information wasn't given to the police all at once. It wasn't like Sherry sat down one time and gave this police information. And in fact, it took 11 months for Sherry to give enough information for them to release sketches of the two women. And I want to point out, I know that I'm coming off on the negative side here, but these were just two. She described one of them, one woman being a younger Latina with dark curly hair and she wore earrings and that she had thin eyebrows and that she was wearing a face mask. So most of her face was covered and the rest of it was very stereotypic, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So she said this woman was between 20 and 30 years old, like I said, had long curly hair, had earrings, thin eyebrows, had a thick Spanish accent. And the other was between 40 and 50 years old with thick eyebrows, straight black hair with some gray in it. Mind you, it took Sherry 11 months to give police this information for them to draw a sketch. And the sketches, like I'm sure we'll put them up, Mm -hmm. literally have face masks on. Right. You can literally just see like their eyes. And their hair. And their hair. Like what good is that going to do? Yeah. None. And it kind of triggered me because I was like this, like the way they're drawn and the way they're talked about is very stereotypical of what I think media portrays Latin women like. So I was kind of like, oh, I was expecting to see a little bit more detail, you know, maybe some guesses on the way that their mouth was. Mm -hmm. But no. Sherry told Keith and the police that during her captivity, she missed her kids a lot. And in fact, one night when she was really missing her daughter, she like got this piece of cloth and sat there and rocked it like she would her daughter, which I was like, that's really that's really sad and like heartbreaking. Like I said, the police interviews, according to the Shasta County Sheriff's Department or the sheriff at the time, said that they were very intense for both the investigators and Sherry. I think there's a lot of stuff that the police and the investigators have not 
told the public. So I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot more Sherry probably gave them. But what they have done, and I I think what has been done is they've made Sherry look like she's incompetent. Oh, okay. I never thought about it that way. Because like the fact that it took, I mean, it did take 11 months for her to like be able to give them enough for sketches. And we don't even know if that's 100% true or if they just like she yeah. gave the information and they waited 11 months. It's just the way it's been explained is that the information has been coming in like sparsely, like little bits at a time. Yeah. And it here's a sketch. It took us this long to get one out. Honestly, it also raises the question of like lack of effort too with it. Definitely. Sherry told the police that one day she heard, like shortly before she was released, she heard her captors arguing, the women were arguing, and then she heard a shot, like a gunshot. Then one of the abductors came in, took Sherry in the SUV, zip-tied her into the car by her wrist, then drove her to California Road 17, where Tara mentioned she was earlier. The abductor cut her free and then booted her out of the car and drove off. Sherry also said that she was too like she was in too much pain to get up and run away at first. So she laid there for a while and then she got up and started running. And it's sad because there's surveillance like there's a church that was there mm-hmm. and the surveillance photo shows Sherry running across their parking lot, running up to the church. And then she also said that she ran to a house and was banging on, but no one came and answered the door, which I understand. Like if someone came in, was banging on my door in the middle of the night, I wouldn't let, I wouldn't open the door. I'd call 911, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't open the door. Mm-hmm. Even though Sherry was described to be cooperating with the police, the public wanted to know why it was taking so long to get any information about her abductors. I mean, that is a good question. It's either that the police just didn't have the information because Sherry was like not fully cooperating as much as possible or Mm -hmm. they were just slow to let things out. And people started getting really antsy and starting to question. And one of the first, I think, holes to be poked at was actually by the police themselves. When Sherry was giving her statement, she said at some point, one of she and one of the abductors got into an altercation where Sherry slammed the woman's head into the toilet, causing her to injure the abductor. During this altercation, Sherry cut or injured her foot. When the police started to look over the, you know, because they take detailed photos of all her injuries. They took, there was no, de- there was nothing on her foot. And when they examined it again, there was no like remodel or regrowth or anything to show that she had actually injured her foot. And this was within like hours of her being like recovered. Right. So right away, they're like, okay, this seems a little weird that she's saying that she cut her foot or that she's injured her foot in some way to the point where when her abductor pushed her out of the vehicle, she was in too much pain to actually run away and then to not have anything. Right. Tara and I talked about this like offline and it's like, I don't know. It just seems weird that that's the body part, like the one part of her body that wasn't injured. She picked to say, like, I hurt myself in this way. That was interesting for sure. It's kind of like totally unrelated, but it just makes me think of Casey Anthony. How when this isn't me totally saying she's lying, but like how Casey Anthony has all these crazy, like extra little details, you know, that's what it made me think of. Right. And to that point, like if Sherry Papini is lying about this, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Why would she not pick something like I broke my nose because like the bridge of her nose was broken or they slammed me down and I bruised my ribs because she was bruised like all over. But she picked one spot Mm. where she literally had no injury. Exactly. 
Like, it doesn't make sense. It's a little red flag. Right. So it's like the one thing that she doesn't have evidence to back up. So the police began to question some of the things Sherry was telling them. Another hole was how long Sherry took to produce a stereotypical description of two Latina women. I think when those sketches came out, people were like, uh, the fuck? Mm -hmm. Because I looked at them and went, oh, this looks like a wanted poster for like... A video game. Yeah, it was just really, it's really odd. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that people questioned a lot, because, I mean, Keith talked about the phone and how he found it. And he shared, the the picture Mm -hmm. was shared. The people began to really question how the phone was found. And, I mean, people are like, okay, if I was in an altercation where someone was trying to kidnap me and I threw my phone, maybe just so that someone would know that this is where I was last at. It wouldn't have landed like face up, no scratches. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tara and I made the joke like this is 2016. This is where people used to like sneeze at their iPhones and they would break. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like and the fact that her headphones were tangled in a way that were just laying on top. It would be like today if someone found my iPhone with with my AirPods just like perfectly in the case on top of my phone. <laughs> right. And then be like, exactly. that's not how that looks. You know what, like, his picture reminded me of? It reminded me of one of those, like, old photo bucket photos of, like, a phone, you know? It's just so, like, just so, so. I don't know how else to describe it. Right. I also thought about maybe the fact that maybe Keith picked up the phone Mm. and then went, shit, I shouldn't have done that, and then set it back down and then took photos of it. But didn't want to say that because he didn't want police to think that he, like, but he tampered with evidence anyway because he should have left the phone on the ground. Right. That was my first thought, too. Another really interesting kind of, like, plot twist or, like, really interesting that happened Sherry went to high school with a girl who, by the way, her name is Tara. Her name was Tara Smith. And on August 22nd, 1998, she went missing. Surprisingly, she was jogging in the same area. And the fact that she went missing while jogging. She's also blonde, described Mm -hmm. to look a lot like Sherry. They actually, like, knew each other. In fact, I think Sherry, I think there's a video where they show, like, Sherry, like, auditioned for the same part as one of... Tara's sisters like Mm. so they were close in age and they were close it was small town people knew each other so it was really interesting that it was almost like the same way Mm -hmm. so the police obviously looked at who they thought was involved in in Tara's disappearance is the same as in Sherry's but that led nowhere I thought it was weird that when I first heard the story I thought Tara's dad Terry contacted Keith to be like hey we're here if you need anything but the spin is Keith contacted them. Right. So that just seemed weird to me. I don't know. Like, I could just be reading into it, but it just seems like weird, like, to call up someone and be like, hey, I need your guidance right. for this. And at this point, they're just hoping to find her remains. You know, they're hoping to find yeah. Tara's remains mm. and be, yeah. you know, be able to, like, have some closure. Whereas Keith, they're, like, saying, like, oh, he has all this hope and optimism. He wasn't saying things like, I hope we find her. They're they're saying, oh, when we find her and bring her home. So it was just something it was something like the way that Terry was talking about it. It just kind of like made me go, huh, that is an interesting fact that he contacted you out of the blue to talk to you about this. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So according to Sherry, the only people who were with her the entire time that she was captured was two females. She didn't see anyone else or hear anyone else. But they found prevalent male DNA. They did find another DNA, like female DNA on her jacket. 
this is where they found the male DNA too. Mm-hmm. But it just was weird that they didn't find more. Like they didn't find two sets because both women were, you know, quote unquote abusing her. And this is all like alleged guys. Like we can't say for a fact that this has been right. fabricated. So it's just yeah. alleged. Both of the samples were put into CODIS, the da- that database, and no known offenders popped up for either male or female. They also ran it through like an ancestry type system. And I don't know if anyone followed up on the, that DNA mapping, but it was said that they have looked into it and that they are, you know, they're still looking for answers in the DNA. It is also noted that the male DNA did not match Keith. Yeah. Some people speculate the male DNAs was Cameron's because at some point someone was trying to say that like Cameron's wife and Sherry like knew each other or something like that. Something Mm -hmm. a little scandalous like I believe they were in porn together. Right. But that was not a thing. Yeah, it wasn't. Someone just to me, I'm like, okay, I understand people questioning like, okay, you know, the husband's crying too much. It feels like crocodile tears. I can understand people yeah. questioning, like, things like that. But this is, like, that's just an outlandish thing to be like, oh, no, it's this dude. Right. And his wife, actually, like, someone said that his wife abducted her because she fuck? was jealous. I'm just like, what the fuck kind of shit is this? It's just, like, at that point, it's, like, small town gossip just, like, blowing up, you know? Like, crazy. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right and he had to say like uh my wife has never met her like they had to come out and like you know Mm -hmm. make those kind of statements but i don't know if they tested the dna against his i don't even know if the police had like enough to even consider trying to get that warrant yeah i don't know the police did after all these kind of like random questions and things like that did say that they believe sherry's story but the community is not in any danger and is safe which I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Because if what you're saying is Sherry's been kidnapped and then held for 22 days and beaten and whatever else, but nobody else in our community is in danger. Yeah, that's just odd. This leads me and a lot of other people to believe that the police have more information than they're telling the public, which yeah, good for them, makes sense. Right. And that there's possibly a storyline that we have no idea even exists and that maybe they're following up on that. So that's why they're saying that the people are safe. It's just frustrating and it's just the whole thing's just so weird. Right. Like in many small towns around America, the rumor mill began to produce a lot of rumors really quick the first rumor that was that keith was involved i too watched the same video that tara watched about the body language and that woman just rips keith a new one like everything is just he apparently had a lot of dead in his Mm -hmm. eyes his eyes were dead yeah so people assumed that maybe he knew what was happening all along that they were in on it together i mean it's just really it's just really weird people also think it's weird that Sherry's never made a statement publicly. Yeah, that is a little weird, but... Not even, like, a thank you to the community around her. And it's all gone through Keith or a family friend. Another thing that people started to question and spread gossip about was when... When she went missing, they set up a GoFundMe to raise money to hire Mm -hmm. a private eye, Mm -hmm. private investigator. And... People say that that was just a ploy to get money because when Sherry was found, the money wasn't used for private eye anymore. However, the money has been said to be spent on her medical bills and her recovery. So I think that's a pretty legit reason. Like if she's no longer missing, like why spend Mm -hmm. the money on that? Let the police do the work. Why not spend it on money 
or spend it on things like medical bills or her recovery because she's probably had to go to a lot of therapy. She's probably had to do like a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm assuming she's probably had some sort of reconstructive surgeries around her branding and things like that. Maybe, possibly. Some people think it's weird that Sherry has never completed a polygraph test, but very few times victims are required. And polygraphs polygraphs only work if the people who are answering the questions don't believe what they're saying. So a few months after this all happened, after Sherry's been kidnapped and then released. So in March of 2017, the Sacramento Bee released an article telling the story that actually came from some family members. Ooh, yeah. And the things, as some of these are like legit because they're backed up by police reports, which are public. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, public access. And according to a police report filed in 2000, Sherry, who was 18 at the time, it was filed by her sister, Sheila. Sherry kicked in the back door of the fam- of their family home in Shasta Lake, which I have to tell a really funny story really quickly about the name Shasta Lake. Okay. So there, it's actually the town's name is Shasta Lake City. And in my high school, we used to have this like, you know, like the do like the news. Mm-hmm. We had like our own little news station. <laughs> and yeah. the guy who did the weather, who, by the way, weird true crime spin has been arrested in a serving time for like <gasps> pedo related things. Ugh. Right. He, was, he dated my friend in high school. It was very weird. Like as an adult later to be like, holy shit, what? Anyway, he on air, he was supposed to say in Shasta Lake City, but he got all tongue tied and he said Shasta Lake Shitty. <laughs> and of course, it was just too funny. Like everyone died. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Sheila, Sherry's sister, makes the claim. And the, later that day, her parents re- made a report of vandalism against their home and stated that Sherry had ran away. So she was 18. Mm-hmm. Flash forward to 2003 when Sherry was 21. Her father filed a police report saying that there was an unauthorized withdrawal of money taken out of his bank account. The police looked into the case and found out that the money had been taken out by Sherry. Sherry did later return the money, but it's kind of sketchy that Sherry would do this at all. Right. Like, and I think 21 is too old to be like, I took money from my dad's bank account without him asking. I'm just going to call that out. Yeah. That point in time, like, I can understand if you were like 14 and you like didn't know what that meant. But like 21, you definitely are like, you know. Later that year, in again in 2003, Sherry's mother had to had to call 911 because Sherry was threatening to harm herself and told her mom that she was going to blame it on her mom, whose name is Loretta. So she mm-hmm. was going to say that Loretta was hurting her, even though Sherry was the one doing the self-harm. This is really troubling behavior, and people, I think even her family, were wondering if she was on drugs. And, I mean... At the very least, she was dealing with some possible mental health issues that needed to be addressed. And I hope at some point she got help for him. Yeah. In 2006, while she was married to her first husband, David, she posted on social media that she had been jumped by a group of Latino men because she had gotten into a fight with a Latina woman. Her ex-husband, David, says that Sherry may not have been the one who actually posted it. And so apparently there was hackers back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Frickin' MySpace. <laughs> we know that Reading has a large Latino and Latina or Hispanic population, but fuck, this seems to be the target of this particular culture is this little tiny blonde woman. Yeah, it's just weird coincidences. It's like, it's, it's a pattern. Right. It's definitely a pattern. According to an anonymous family member who reached out to the Sacramento Bee, in 2006, Sherry fabricated a story that she was kidnapped. 
Oh, boy. No details provided. So (sighs) 10 years later, the world was looking for her because she had been kidnapped. Sherry was also found. Oh, so you know how Keith, Tara mentioned earlier, Keith was like, Sherry would never leave me. Sherry loves me. There's nothing bad ever going to happen. Okay, so at the time, Sherry was found to have an internet relationship with a man from Detroit. His identity has been protected if Sherry went missing. Like, people immediately were like, it's the dude. It was said that they had known each other for years, but had recently gotten in touch with one another. The police have not released the nature of their relationship, only saying that Sherry was planning to meet up with him when he was in California. Hmm. The police did check in with him and they actually served 12 warrants on his home, but they found nothing. Oh, shit. The theory was that she was having, like, this is the theory that was spread out in the rumors, was that she was having an internet affair with this man. Now, remember how Tara said that Sherry and Keith dated in junior high and then they broke up. They actually, like, broke up, got back together, broke up, got back together. And then they split in high school for, like, good for a while. And then she married David DeFries, who was her first husband, in 2006. Mm-hmm. And they divorced in 2008, but her, like, I think 2008, but her and Keith started dating again mm-hmm. in 2007. Yep. They were actually, Sherry and Keith had actually moved in together eight months before David and Sherry's divorce was finalized. Yeah. And if you have no children, which they did not, that shit should go fast. Right. So there's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to. The facts are facts. Yeah. You know, she rekindled her romance with Keith and here she's talking to this other man on the internet and the police are not saying whether it was romantic or not, which automatically made everyone believe it was romantic because like, Mm -hmm. why would they withhold that if it wasn't? One of the bigger theories out there is that Sherry ran away to party because she'd gone back, like possibly gotten back into the drugs and all that stuff. And not that I know that that's something she did in her past, but this, again, a theory. I'm not creating it. These are other people. Mm -hmm. And that she faked the kidnapping to cover up her misdeeds. But I do have to question. I mean, yes, it's possible that she could cause all that bruising. She could just hit herself or run into things or fall downstairs, you know, have other people hit her. So we can take that aside and say, yes, that's physically humanly possible that someone could do that to themselves. But could someone brand themselves? Right. Especially on their right shoulder. Like, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Typically, when we touch hot things, our body tells us to not touch it anymore, Mm -hmm. which is why most people who do, because branding is a thing. People get brands. Yeah. I've seen it. Ugh. Scary. Scares me. (laughs) Yeah. It scares the shit out of me. But, you know, some people do that. I just don't think someone could hold that onto themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, one, could she withstand the pain? And two, could she reach it where it was located? Right. Because they implied it's kind of in a place that I don't think she could. Mm -hmm. That's what I read, too. Mm -hmm. We know it's on her shoulder, her right shoulder, but we don't know where. Also, Tara mentioned earlier that there were a lot of sex offenders and drug houses in the area. In fact, like she mentioned earlier, there was 12 warrants that were served on homes surrounding the Papini's home in Mountain Gate. Mm-hmm. Northern California, if you don't know this, a lot of people who live in Northern California don't know this, mm-hmm. that it has a large meth problem. Yeah. It's a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Like you drive down the street and all of a sudden there's this overwhelming sense of smell of cat pee and you're like, what is that? And you're like, it's a meth house. Yep. And in places up in there where there's like mountains and hills where people can hide things a lot easier, it's quite lucrative. 
So it's either they're thinking that the rumors or the theory is, is that she'd gotten back into drugs and that she may have owed people money because also I did do my research on this a little bit. <laughs> we looked up just because we were curious. Like we mentioned earlier, we looked at like how much money Keith would be making at his job. So if this is their only source of income, he's making about 16, maybe $16 an hour because mm-hmm. I think he'd worked there for 11 years. So yeah. we're hoping that they're paying him a bit more than right. the average person. Yeah. 16 seemed to be the higher of it. The average was 13 an hour. And that's today. Right. This isn't five years ago. Yeah. This is today. And so then I was like, well, how much do drugs cost? Because not something Jessica was aware yeah, of. No. And Tara was there for my journey down. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, some, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, some drugs are real cheap. <laughs> I was like, some drugs are very cheap. Math seems very cheap. Like, anyways, link in the source page mm-hmm. if you want to. But like, you know, cocaine, crack, co- like, is not is not worth it because it was like what one hundred and twenty five dollars per day to do it, and it was like only gave you like thirty minutes, is what they were saying. I was like, this does not seem like a good ROI, guys. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry. So I looked it up, and so maybe she like owed somebody money. Mm-hmm. And they abducted her because they were like going to hold her until they got paid. And then maybe, right? I don't know, maybe they tortured her and they were like, oh shit, if we don't let her go soon, you know, people are going to figure out it's us mm-hmm. and panicked and let her go. And most of the time, like, I would say that most, most people who keep their faces covered, I don't know, I just feel like it's weird. Yeah. Also, the theory is that maybe when Sherry was out running, she saw something she wasn't supposed to see. Right. And maybe she kept going and they followed her and tracked her down. And maybe she's they told her, if you say anything, we'll kill you type thing or your or your family. So she's just not really like saying a lot. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is a theory. Yeah. The other theory kind of comes with the brand is that Sherry was abducted by people who were in sex trafficking. You know, she looked she looked young. She looked younger than she was, mm-hmm. for sure. She's blonde hair, blue-eyed, petite. She's kind of like a market demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, she's checking a lot of boxes. She was all by herself. She was an easy... I mean, even before she lost the weight and made herself... Or not made herself, but like before she was like 87 pounds or whatever. She was only like 105 pounds, 110 pounds. She wasn't very big. Right. She's very petite. Mm-hmm. So the theory is, is that the traffickers saw her on the news and they also realized she was older than they thought she was right. so they had their fight and then one of them let her go and that the brand was actually connected to the sex traffickers to put her into like a sex trafficking ring yeah but the police did say that the brand was a message not a word so we're not sure and the police did dismiss the theory of sex trafficking pretty early on because they thought if this was sex traffickers this was very sloppy mm-hmm it seems really risky to let her go. I know this sounds horrible. It's like the it's such a horrible statement to say, but sex traffickers are pros. Yeah. They are. And yeah. they wouldn't let her go because what if their mask fell for a second and they weren't mm-hmm. sure if she saw them? Maybe she wasn't looking. Yeah. Or maybe she did speak Spanish and just pretended that she didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a lot less messy for them to kill her yeah, than to release her and have a chance that she retained any information that would be part of their capture. Mm-hmm. So 
I know that's like a horrible thing to say, but it's true. Kind of to go along with that, there's this thing called the Emerald Triangle. And according to their Wikipedia page, the Emerald Triangle is a region of Northern California named as such due to the large cannabis producing region in the United States is big. Everybody knows what Humboldt County is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't, it's where they grow pot. Lots of it. <laughs> And so it's Humboldt County, Trinity County, and Mendocino County. It's a triangle of these three counties. So it, mm-hmm. Humboldt is on the coast, Trinity is inland, and then Mendocino is south. And basically they're saying that over the last few years, they've noticed along with the marijuana cultivation, they've also noticed a number of, the <laughs> the article called it a hotbed <laughs> for sex trafficking and drug cartels. In 2015, in Humboldt County alone, they reported 352 missing people. Wow. That's a lot. Humboldt yeah. County is like big. And granted, you probably have some of those being like lost in the woods, mm-hmm. met Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, those type of things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's worth it to like look to consider at least because yep. she's right in there. She was right along a freeway. Mm-hmm. Very close. It kind of rem- like when I was thinking about it, it kind of reminded me of the Carly Gousset story that Tara talked about on a stabby mm-hmm. where she was last seen or near a freeway because right. I mean, that just makes an easy exit. Yeah. It's different where Sherry was because it's more rural, though it is trafficked. Like, Old Oregon Trail and Sunrise is trafficked. In fact, there's like, I think there's like a market somewhere around over there, too. Oh, jeez. So, now, almost five years, the Papinis had to live in a community questioning whether Sherry made the whole thing up or both of them made it up as a hoax. So, they were kind of being harassed is the correct Mm -hmm. word like they couldn't really go out sherry's been known now to become a recluse she doesn't let her children even play in the yard she doesn't let anything like that happen keith is seen out i think because he still works but sherry doesn't leave the house people bother her and i'm like okay even if you believe that she made this shit up leave her the fuck alone Mm mm-hmm It's not right to bother her and her kids, especially her children. Her children don't deserve that. They're innocent. Exactly. Whether you believe Sherry made this up or not. I go back and forth. I mean, the the GoFundMe didn't help. So probably. Right. Right. And I think with the area that they're in, people just talk. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it would be hard. I mean, they had to move. They like they were living in Keith's childhood home and they had to move just to get away from They went back. They weren't gone. They didn't move very long. Right, but still. I mean, they yeah. still had to do that anyway. Like Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> Tara said I got a little like weird and I got a little like snozy. Sno- I didn't say weird. I just said you got I did. nosy. <laughs> I got nosy. And I was like, okay, I was hoping that I would call and someone would be like, oh, let me tell you. But <laughs> that's not what happened. So I today I called the Shasta County Sheriff's Department and I spoke to a wonderful person who was very helpful. Mm-hmm. The case is still considered an open and active, but the Shasta County Sheriff's Department is no longer handling it. It has been officially turned over to the FBI Ooh. and they are handling it. And Ooh. the Shasta County Sheriff's Department will no longer be providing information about the Sherry Papini case. Ooh. Do what you will with that. I also did try to call the FBI office in Reading, but they were unavailable and I didn't want to leave my name and number because I didn't want the FBI to have my name and number. 
I was like, I don't know if I want to commit this hard for this. Like, if they answered, yeah, sure. I'll tell them who I am and what I'm doing this for. And hopefully they'll be like. But like it'd pop up on the call log, Jessica. You know, that little thing called caller ID. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. Maybe they thought I like. It's not one of those numbers that's like five, 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 five. Like, no, it's eighty one hundred. It's you fine. know, it's like an. It looks like an actual phone number. Yeah, like, just like a regular. Per- so it could be like, oh shit, I just I misdialed. And when they were like, mm-hmm. "This is the office of the FBI," I was like, "Oh no, fuck that!" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did call. I mean, there's a lot with this case. When you watch a video, like it, from video to video, from person to person, the retelling of the story, there's so much. It goes back and forth because so many things don't add up. But weirder shit has happened in life. True. I guess to wrap my part up, it's to say that like. I've very rarely do we see kidnapped victims released. Like if you look at like the Ariel Castro or you look at Jamie, what's her face who like just like ran off without shoes. Jamie Kloss. Yeah. Yeah. It's people escaping. It's not. I was lucky enough to be released. So if this situation is true, Mm. Sherry, play the fucking lotto, sweetie, because you are one of the luckiest people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And if this is and I'm not saying I'm not saying it is and I'm not saying it isn't because I'm not qualified to make this call. But if it is a hoax, like you need to come out and say the truth and say like, this is what happened. And I I'm sorry, because that's got to suck to like not be able to go into your community and be a part of it five years after. Right. That's what I think about. Like, if this was real, like how fucking shitty is that? You know what I mean? Because that's traumatic enough in itself. But then now it's like you're on house arrest for forever. Right. Because, you know, too, if they just up and move to like a totally new area, people would fucking talk about that, too. Right. And you have to look at the fact that she was internationally known. Mm-hmm. Like this case blew the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Also, I forgot to mention one thing. I do need to talk about this part. In 2020, in like around October of 2020, anonymous man, a mystery man called the Shasta County Sheriff's Department and told them that he and Sherry actually were hanging out the whole time mm. and that this whole thing was a big hoax. Yeah. And that's all we know because they yeah, won't tell us it. anything else. Which... I mean, maybe they're looking into it. Who knows? Right. So that's kind of the last thing. Yep. I did when I did call and I was asking the question I was asking is I would say, I know you probably can't tell me what the last tip was, (laughs) but could you tell me when the last tip came in? Mm -hmm. And the Shasta County Sheriff's Department was like, I can't tell you that because of this note in the system. So good for them. They have people who don't have loose lips. Yeah. And just chitty chat. So good for them because not all police departments have that shit. Right. So yeah, that's where we're at with that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So that's all I have. It's craziness. Well, we hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you're familiar with the case or even just hearing us talk about it, let us know what you guys think on socials and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.